0: WHEN THE TALL AND THE SMALL GET TOGETHER WITH THE LORD, GET TOGETHER, GET TOGETHER WITH THE LORD. WELL, THE WEAK ARE NO LONGER AFRAID OF THE STRONGER WHEN THEY are. Loves us all the same His son died to save us And to keep us in his name And soon we'll rise to meet him And forever we will reign And we will sing, sing Sing, sing, sing
1: Now when we all get together When we all get together
2: That good? Kind of reminds you the barbershop quartets, though not all of them need a barber, but uh, hey man, that is great. Let's all stand. What a blessing. That is a blessing. Let's have our men come and let's gather around the altar and take this service to the Lord and let's ask the Lord just to make himself known tonight, speak to our hearts and to capture our hearts and set our affections on things above. Father, in Jesus' name, we do thank you for the sweet, sweet spirit that is in this place. Let us be sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord and to listen to Him and to follow Him, for I know that He'll always take us to the Lord Jesus and He'll always magnify the Lord Jesus. He'll always be what we need in order to worship the Lord Jesus. So I pray now that you just Make Him real in this service. Touch every heart. Meet every need. You know the needs in the building. I pray you'll meet those needs and touch and glorify the name of Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Let's
3: get us a songbook, page 203. Tell me the story of Jesus. 203. 203. You.
2: You be Let's let our Awana leaders come forward and present the Awana Awards tonight.
4: We have one Spark Award tonight. That's for Janie Daggett. She's in our kindergarten class. Janie's earning a red jewel and a green jewel. She learned nine verses and our flag rules. Tonight we want to honor several pioneers. They're the fifth and sixth grade boys. And the first one we have to give out is for attendance in club. All of these gentlemen up here had either no or one absence during club in the third quarter. So each of them gets a bronze arrowhead. The first one is Derek Smith. Next is Samuel Hensley. Then we have Heath Domer. Finally, receiving a bronze uh, star and also the Clubber of the Month, Heath Groves. I mean, sorry, Daniel Groves. My mistake. (laughs)
5: Let's
2: let our ushers come forward to receive her offering, and it's a joy to have all of you with us tonight to see Jim and Janet some folk with him come in tonight and brother byers and good to see you and your wife good to have you with us tonight others we're glad that you're here let's pray and you give father we thank you for the privilege been able to give unto you and i pray lord you continue to open our hearts to what you have for us tonight in jesus name amen
6: C'est morning star the king of all angels
0: special
5: You're sweet.
3: Let's everyone stand tonight. This is our time to get out, shake hands with everyone around, move out amongst us, okay? Find someone out there, shake hands with everyone you possibly get your hands on, let them know that you appreciate them and love them. Find those visitors. Just keep shaking hands, find your songbook, turn on page number 308. Are you washed in the blood? 308. Save your sight, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the Let our stained with sin all be washed in the blood. ABC.
2: let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1st Corinthians chapter 14 the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and we'll pick up where we left off last Sunday night and our study of the book of 1st Corinthians while you're finding your place there let me just give you a prayer request I meant to do so a while ago and many of you have been praying for Michael Adams this is uh, Curtis and Dot's son and he was taken to Vanderbilt this week been praying for a liver He's been in desperate need of a liver. And uh, he has really gone down over the past couple of weeks. And, of course, they went to Vanderbilt. They've kept him at Vanderbilt. They moved him into intensive care uh, either yesterday or early this morning. And, and Michael is not doing well. And the doctors met with him. Someone came by a little while ago and talked to me. But he has got to have a liver today. And so let's remember Michael Adams and be praying for him that the Lord will meet all the needs of his life as well as Curtis and Dot. So remember them if you would, please. Tonight we're going to conclude chapter 14, and in so doing, we are going to conclude a section in Corinthians. We've been going through the book of First Corinthians on Sunday night, so this is not a particular subject that I have just jumped out and said, hey, I want to get on this for a while. It's, that's not been the issue uh, chapter 12 just so happened to follow chapter 11, and that's why I got into it, amen? But uh, we have uh, been looking at this section in Corinthians that has to do with spiritual gifts. And there are a lot of, uh, a lot of controversy about the matter and, and a lot of confusion about the matter and a lot of different ideals about the matter. I've been amazed as, I have, as I've worked through this. I've tried to read other people's opinions, and, and it's amazing how people see things. And uh, what, what has been so amazing to me is how uh, somebody can come up with something that has no biblical foundation for it whatsoever. They just simply say, this is the way I think it is, and people swallow it, and take it as if that it becomes truth. But I want you to know something. I don't care who it is. I don't care how big their name is, how small their name is. This Bible is the final authority. And it becomes the rule by which we believe. Not just what anybody makes up or thinks about the matter or supposedly a word they get from God on the spur of the moment. This is God's Word given to us in written form and it becomes the judge of everything and of all teaching and all doctrine. But I all that, say this as we have made our way through here. I think I have firmly established what I believe the Bible is saying. And somebody might come along and say, well, you believe that because you're a Baptist. I want you to understand something. I don't believe a thing that I believe because I'm a Baptist. I believe what I believe because of what the Bible says. Now, if the Baptists so happen to believe it, I'm glad they got in the boat with me. But if they don't believe it, then uh, it doesn't matter a hill of beans to me what the Baptists think about it. I'm going to believe what God said. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If I felt, some of these gifts that we've looked at, if I felt they were for the church of Jesus Christ today, then uh, I certainly would practice it regardless of whatever any, any other Baptist may think about it. But again, if the Baptists feel that this is something we should do, and I do not feel that it's Bible, I don't care if I'm the only one, I'm not going to do it because the Bible, as I said, becomes our final authority. And I found the benefits of just going through the Bible verse by verses that it clears up a lot of questions that you have. And uh, it saves you from just most of the doctrine that is confused doctrine and false doctrine that gets started, gets started because somebody reaches in there and pulls out a statement. Or they take one text out of its context and they build a doctrine upon it. As I began in the very beginning, we went through here, I talked about three rules for understanding spiritual gifts and one of them had to do looking at it in its context. If you, you, anything you study in the Bible, you have got to look at it in relation to what is being said around it. If you do not take chapter 12, 13 and 14 and study it in its context, you'll come up with every kind of false doctrine that you can imagine. But when you take it and you work through it verse verse by verse by verse by verse as we've tried to do, it is a very, very enlightening experience. And uh, so I hope that over the past several weeks that we have been in this section, that many of your questions have been answered and that you have been grounded in some matter and whatever. But anyway, in the closing verses, I want us to look at what he had to say in conclusion the whole thing. He's not only closing a chapter. I remember our chapters have been added there by a man, but they've been added there to distinguish a movement of thought from one area of thought to the other. But uh, Paul is concluding his discussion about spiritual gifts, and then he gets into something else. But I want you to stand tonight. And as I look at these final verses, it's like Paul is saying to us, if you're going to do it, then here's how to do it. If you're going to do it, this is how to do it. Like you saying to the Corinthians, notice verse 26, chapter 14, verse 26. How is it then, brethren... When you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But... If there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye ye may all prophesy one by one that y'all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not of confusion. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman. to for women to speak in the church what came the word of god out from you or came it unto you only if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual let him acknowledge that the things that i write unto you are the commandments of the lord but if any man be ignorant let him be ignorant wherefore brethren covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues let all things be done decently and in order if you're going to do it this is how to do it thank you You may be seated let's pray and we'll conclude chapter 14 and this particular section by considering what paul had to say father tonight in jesus name i thank you for the spirit of god that used holy men of god in a day in the past to give us the word of god And I thank you, Lord, for a book that is without error, a book that is without flaw, a book that is absolutely trustworthy. And as we come to it tonight, Lord, and to study it, we not only thank you for the Spirit of God that gave it, but the Spirit of God that interprets it. And so we come tonight needing your help, needing your understanding, to understand what the Bible says, to be able to see truth and to grasp truth And to approach it in a way and understand it in the way that you want us to understand it so father tonight help us to lay aside any prejudices that we may have or any preconceived ideals that we might have about something and let the Word of God be the final authority in what we feel and think about a matter so speak to us tonight and help us in this passage glorify the name of the Son of God give me a heart for your word and your people as I share the word in Jesus' name, and for Jesus' sake we pray, amen. I am mindful of churches, that churches are not without problems. In fact, someone not too long ago was telling me about this fellow that was marooned on this island, and he had been marooned on the island for years. And finally someone spotted him, and they came to the island rowed ashore to rescue him. And when they came ashore, they noticed there were three huts on this island. Well, as the man was getting what few things he had together, the fellow said to him, said, uh, What are these three huts? He said, What's that one? He said, Oh, that's my house. That's where I live. And he said, Well, what's that and over there? He said, Oh, that's where I go to church. And he looked at him and said, Well, what's that one over there? He said, That's where I used to go to church. Well, I am mindful... There are some people that can't get along with themselves, much less with a group of people, amen. But no church is without problems. And some have more problems than others, and some problems is a rare thing. But when you look at the church of Corinth, here is a church that had a multitude of problems. And as we have made our way through the chapter and worked our way through these chapters, 14 chapters we have learned of all kinds of problems that the Corinthians had anywhere from immorality among the membership to a desecration of the things of God to even confusion about spiritual gifts what they were even to the point that there was a practice that was a false fleshly imitation of the genuine thing this was a church that had its problems one of the problems in the church of Corinth as I said had to do with confusion over spiritual gifts. That's why Paul takes chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14 to deal with the matter of spiritual gifts. In particular, chapter 14, he deals with the matter of tongues. That seems to be the big issue at the church, in the church of Corinth. That seems one of the big problem areas there. And so Paul, as he talks about spiritual gifts in general, he focuses upon the one gift, speaking in tongues, and he deals with it in chapter 14. We have seen and we'll see even tonight in closing that they were confused about several things when it came to speaking in tongues. They were confused about the purpose of speaking in tongues. They were confused about the purpose and what the purpose of tongues were. The purpose of tongues was to be assigned to the unbeliever and to affirm the apostles and those that were the founder and fathers of the church. They were to affirm the message that they preached, that these men are of God. And it was a message and the whole purpose of tongues was to communicate to others as assigned to Israel and others there to communicate the wonderful works of God Acts 2 talks about. But the Corinthian believers had made it became something for them, not something for the unbeliever. And so they were confused about the purpose of tongues. Tongues was not for the individual, not a private matter, but it was a public matter and a communication truth. They misunderstood that. So it became a personal thing, something to enhance their worship, you might say. They were confused about the purpose. They were confused about the practice. The church of Corinth, it was was like a madhouse, as we saw back here last week. The Services were chaos, and I'll say more about that in just a little while. And the Spirit of God, Paul deals with that matter, but uh, they were confused about the practice of tongues. But as we see tonight, they were even confused about the procedure of speaking in tongues. There was a real gift of speaking in tongues. No doubt about it. And Paul tonight, he begins to deal with in chapter here, he helps us and reminds us that there is a genuine gift. In the Corinthians, there was a false imitation, and you remember, I remind you throughout the chapter there, you'll find that phrase, unknown tongue. And you notice the word unknown, and for you maybe that are joining us for the first time, the word unknown is in italics, meaning that it was added there by the translators. And I believe it was added there properly because the translators as well as the use of the word tongue singular, the word tongues plural, they identify and distinguish between that which was real and that which was false. In the Corinthian assembly there was a false practice of tongues and that is always identified in chapter 14 by the phrase unknown tongue. Because the bottom line is there is no such thing as an unknown tongue any b- example in the bible when somebody spoke in tongues there was a communication of another language unknown to the speaker not naturally acquired by the speaker but always another language known to someone all the examples in the bible bear that out so there's not a matter that there was a language that was unknown If it's a language, it is not unknown. Maybe unknown to me, unknown to you, but it's known to somebody somewhere. So in 14, chapter 14, anytime you find that phrase unknown, it is always distinguishing between that false imitation of the gift at Corinth and that which is the real thing. Whenever you see the word tongue singular, chapter 14 is the false practice of the gift, but when you find the word tongues plural, it is the true gift. That you find. But they were confused about the practice. And tonight, they were even confused about the procedure. Now, as he ends this discussion, he gives certain regulations. And he ends the chapter by saying, Let all things be done decently and in order. That word decently describes that which is right. Now, God doesn't inhibit our freedom when it comes to worship. But there are certain things that are right and there are certain things that are wrong. And when it comes to the worship in the house of God, then God wants things going on in church to be done right. And he wants them to be done in a certain order. And that is an order that is according to biblical truth. So he wraps up everything in chapter 14, the whole section discussion on spiritual gifts. And he said, now I won't say something to you in closing. And that is I want you to do what is right and I want you to do that which is according to a biblical pattern and a biblical practice and biblical truth. So let all things be done decently and in order. I want you to notice that phrase in order. It seems like that the closing section here has to do with an order or orders. Let me just point out two things tonight. First of all. I want you to notice the order in the church that Paul demanded. The order in the church that Paul demanded. Look at verse 26. He says, how is it then, brethren, when ye come together, that every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation, let all things be done unto edifying. Now, in verse 26, Paul lets us visit a service at the Corinthian church have you ever read about a church or heard about a church and you said to yourself, I'd really like to visit there well I know that physically we can't jump into a Dolores and go back in time and and visit the Corinthian church but we do and are allowed by Paul through the scriptures to visit one of the services at the church of Corinth and what an unusual service it was He talks about several things that were uh, common in the Corinthian service for example he talks about a matter of a psalm and a psalm here as reference to either the reading of a song psalm or the singing of a psalm I remind you that most of the psalms in the Bible in the Old Testament psalms were actually songs s-o-n-g-s they were songs that were sung by Israel at certain of their festivities and their occasions sometimes as they were making their way to Jerusalem to worship whatever like that, their festivals and whatever, most of them were songs. And it is very possible that the hymn book of the Corinthian church was the book of psalms. Jewish people often sung the psalms. And so when he talked about half a psalm, it may be referred to somebody reading a psalm or maybe somebody or the singing of the psalms in the Corinthian church. But he talks about a psalm just as we know in the book of psalms. He also talks about not only psalms, but he talks about doctrine. Or the matter of teaching, he said in verse 26, and when you come, one hath a psalm and one hath a doctrine. What the word doctrine, when you find it in the New Testament, it always has the ideal, basically always, the ideal of teaching. And what he said is when you go in the Corinthian church, there'll be somebody, there'll either be the reading of the psalm or there'll be singing psalms, that's their hymn book, or there'll be somebody. somebody in the church there is always going to have a lesson. A lesson from the Word of God. There's going to be some doctrine they are uh, teaching and talking and discussing about, or some particular Bible subject they're approaching and looking at and whatever that somebody has a doctrine. And then, of course, he mentions a tongue which is the gift of tongues or speaking in tongues, he hath revelation, and he hath an interpretation. These are spiritual gifts that were being honored and being recognized and being practiced in the Corinthian church. So if you went into the Corinthian church, you, you would have heard people singing. You would have heard people praising. You would have heard people saying amen, as we saw back in, the latter, in our last study there. You would have heard somebody uh, preaching or teaching a lesson, teaching the Word of God, and you would have seen the spiritual gifts being exercised in that congregation. But what was so unusual about it is that they were all doing these things at the same time. Look what he said in verse 26. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath the song, hath the doctrine, hath the tongue, hath the revelation, hath an interpretation. Well, he says, every one of you, what he's talking about is that all of these things were being done by the congregation at the same time. Now, how you like these fellas got up and sung tonight and the trio sung? Well, how would you like to have them all do that at the same time? In fact, we'll just let we'll just invite all of our special singers. Rick, bring the choir up and let all the people in the choir sing. You pick out a song and, and we'll get the praise team, let them sing their song and, and let the trio sing a song, let the quartet sing a song. We'll let all of our spe- singles sing. Let, it, let's, let everybody sing. Do it all at one time. And not only that, I'll tell you what we'll do. All 20-some, 30-some teachers we got, come on up, give us a lesson, and we'll all do that while they're singing. And then I'll just get me a microphone, run over here to the side, and I'll preach while they're doing that. Now, if you can imagine what that would be like, then you begin to get an idea of what the service was. Everyone, they were all doing it at the same time. No wonder Paul said in the latter part of verse 26, Let all things be done unto edifying. Say the least, the service at Corinth was nothing but chaos. Say the least, it was nothing but confusion. I mean, nobody was getting edified. Everybody's doing their own little thing everybody's having their own little party, you might say, in the house of God there, and all the chaos and all the confusion there. There's no way you could really hear anything, no way you could really understand anything. Nobody is being edified. Nobody's being built up. You remember we looked at that word edification? We get our word edifice from it, the building of a building. Nobody was being built. Nobody was being edified. And Paul said, how is it that every one of you it's got your psalms and your song and your doctrines and your speaking in tongues and a revelation, interpretation. He said, let all things be done in a way that will edify somebody. And then you'll notice there that he begins to deal with this chaos. And, and listen closely, it had largely to do with speaking in tongues. It would appear, and if you follow in verse 27, that one of the Biggest things going on the service was that you probably had one trying to sing and one teaching and whatever, maybe two or three having a testimony. But it would appear that the biggest thing going on was so many of them were speaking in tongues and doing it all at the same time. So Paul begins to deal with this chaos and you'll notice twice that he mentions the word or uses the word silence. He said in verse 28, let him keep silence verse 34 let your women keep silence the word silence that he uses there is a very strong word it means to be absolutely silent the best way I know how to describe it is I don't want to squeak out of you he's talking about what he's saying here there's something there was a couple of things that's going on that Paul wanted stopped and he gives certain regulations to show why it needed to be stopped let me look at these two silences first of all he talked about a silence that is related to gifts look at verse 27 and 28 if any man speak in an unknown tongue let it be by two or at the most by three and that by course and let one interpret it the first thing Paul deals with has to do with speaking in tongues And again, it would appear in the Corinthian church that one of the common things about that service is the number of people that were speaking in tongues. And when they were speaking in tongues, we would say it'd be a lot like what we're familiar with today in many circles is that you would have hundreds at one time speaking in tongues. And at the very beginning, Paul lets them know that that is a practice that is out of order. And he calls that kind of practice out of order. But you notice what he said in verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three. You know what he said? If anybody's going to speak in tongues, let it be about two people and at the most three people. And then he adds, and let that be by course or in turn. Now, you think about much much of the modern-day tongues movement. What do you see? Most of the time, you'll see an auditorium full of people. And you'll see hundreds of people with their hands lifted. Their lips are moving. And you read lips or whatever, you, you begin to understand that they are speaking in tongues as they know tongues. And you've got a multitude in this auditorium, all of them worshiping, whatever. There's no communication to others, what is being said or whatever like that. You've got a whole bunch of people speaking in tongues. Paul said, no, wait a minute. If you're going to do it, and the Corinthians, this was the big thing about tongues. He said, if you're going to do it, now here's how you do it. First of all, normally you're only going to have two people in service speaking tongues, and at the most three. And even then, they're going to do it in turn. You're not going to have three people at the same time speaking in tongues. You're going to have one speak in tongues. Second of all, when he's through, then there'll be somebody else speaking in tongues, and that's usually the average in his service, but there may be a need for a third one, and at the very most, you'll have a third person speaking in tongues, and that's it. No more, no more, and they do it in turn with one another. And he said, it's not a matter of everybody worshiping in tongues. He said, at the very most, the only t- thing, the only time you'd have somebody speaking in tongues, it would be three people at the most and that one after the other. And notice what he said in last 27. There's a condition on that. And let one interpret. It would appear in verse 27 you have three people at the most speaking in tongues, but you got one interpreter. Let one interpret. In other words, he says... At the very most that you'll ever have biblically, at the very most that you'll ever have anybody speak in tongues in a biblical setting, is three people, and that'll be one after the other. never, one, ap- never, all together, it won't be hundreds of people, it won't be seven or eight, it'll be three at the very most, and that'll be after one after the other, and there will always be somebody to interpret. If there is ever to be a biblical practice of tongues in a service, then, at the very most, somebody is speaking tongues, and when he is through, then that person there, divinely equipped of God, to be the interpreter for that congregation, would interpret that congregation what God had just said through that person. And then there might be another one, and when he got through speaking in, in a language he didn't understand, God would enable somebody to understand what had just been said, and he would explain to the congregation. And at the very most, there might be a third one, and when he got through, then he would interpret it. That was the extent. God's order of tongues in a church service that was it no more no less now that's quite different when you look at it today is it not it is a quite different story when you look at the practice of tongues in our days but Paul makes it very clear in fact he's very emphatic look at verse 28 but if there be no interpreter let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God he says by the way if if He said, at the very most, you only have three people in service speaking tongues. And he said, but just just so happens that the interpreter in that congregation has a flat tire on the way to church and he can't make it. We don't have any tongues for that service. Or let's just say the, the interpreter's had a busy week and he went to Gatlinburg for the weekend and he cannot be in the service. There will be no tongues tonight. He's very clear, if there is no interpreter, let him absolutely keep sh- his mouth shut. Let him be silent in the church. And he adds there, let him speak to himself. What do you mean? What's the Bible talking about speaking to himself? That's an act of meditation. Meditation is a talking to yourself, thinking about something, chewing something over. He said, you be quiet, sit down, meditate on the matter, and talk to God. He said, but as far as tongues are concerned, if there is no interpreter in a service, then there is to be no tongues in a service. Now, you look in the modern-day movement. You'll have hundreds of people speaking in tongues in one service. But how many times in these massive auditoriums and these massive groups, when you've got hundreds and hundreds speaking in tongues, how many times have you ever heard anybody interpret what they were saying? They don't. Because they believe it's a personal matter. They're worshiping God. They missing the whole purpose of what tongues was about. But this is what Paul said. It's very clear. Don't take a theologian to understand what he said. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him be absolutely silent. There is to be no tongues in the service. Now you notice something in verse 27 you notice that he's been talking about, he's used that phrase, the unknown tongue again. And that has been the rule throughout the chapter that when you find the phrase unknown, he's not talking about the legitimate gift of speaking in tongues. He has been talking about the false imitation that was going on in the Corinthian church. All that it was was not a language, but some ecstatic utterance, like the word barbarian, blah, 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 blah. Like that, that's all that it was going on in the church of, in the, in the church of Corinth there. But you find it here that he talks about being by two or by most by three. What is he, is he uh, saying, all right, if this is you going to practice some false thing, then this is how you want to do it? No. Most, most people, or many of them, they say the only exception to the rule in chapter 14 is in verse 27. But in my opinion, there is not an exception there because I think what Paul is doing is really it's his way of approaching the matter to bring this, what they were doing in the Corinthian church, completely to a stop. Because we looked at it last week, it's like Paul said, if it can't be interpreted, it should not be said. And I think what Paul is saying here, he's talking about the way they were doing things, this gibberish, this ecstatic utterance in the church. He said, at the most three, and he said, have an interpreter, God's man, God's uh, gifted interpreter in that congregation. I think the whole point of what Paul is saying is, what they're doing can't be interpreted. And if it can't be interpreted, then they can't even do that. I think what he's doing is approaching in a way that he absolutely, he's bringing to a complete stop what he's going on. But even if it was a real thing, he's saying that the most that you could ever, anybody could ever speak in tongues in a service was three people. And that, if there was an interpreter present, and if the interpreter was not there, then they could not have tongues in that service. But look at something else, verse 29. He begins to talk about a legitimate gift now. He begins to talk about the prophets. Let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. Now the prophets, these were those men that were in the foundation stages of the church. These were men that got God's word, revelation. We got the Bible that way. God spake to holy men of God and God used them to write down the word of God. And in the early church, they didn't have a Bible such as we had. So God had those that were gifted as prophets, and they were the ones that shared the Word of God. But He even gave regulations concerning them. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge, basically the same thing as the gift of tongues. He said maybe, He said, Let the prophet speak two or three maybe two or three at the very most and he says and let the other judge you see that word judge it is a word that talks about discernment you see in the early church there today we don't need these things because we have this Bible right here how do we know if somebody's wrong we know it but the Bible how we know if somebody's right we know it but the Bible we've we Uh, Filter everything through what the Bible said. If a man is preaching false doctrine, we filter it through the Bible and the Bible shows us that he's preaching false doctrine or whatever there we feel. But in those days, they didn't have a Bible. And so God's Word was being given through holy men. It was being given to people in those days. Well, God had a system of checks and balances. He had those that had the gift of discernment. And he said if there's those are prophets there and they're going to speak, in other words, they're going to give a word from God, this is something God told me to say, this is from God, this is the word of God, then there's going to be somebody there that is going to judge that, measure that against what has been revealed and what is known and is going to determine whether or not this is a word from God. See, it's been very easy in those days for anybody to come through and say, I am a prophet from God. Thus saith the Lord, I've got a word for you anybody could have done it no doubt in the church of corinth that's what was going on and everybody's saying god told me to say this but god gave those the gift of discernment he gave those to judge the other prophets they were to measure what was being said they were to judge that so as if there was something that was wrong they would pick it up and they would catch that and it would all be evaluated in what had been revealed and so he said, let the other judge. It was a way of saying, no, no, no. Some guy walking off the street and say, I've got a word from God for you. Spirit of God says, that old boy is not real. And then this, this, this one here, the other prophet, get up and said, no, he's not real. It's not from God. And that was the end of it. That's the way God put a system of checks and balances in. He said, let the prophet speak two or three of most in the service and let the other judge. He said in verse 30, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. The ideal is that somebody be up speaking giving a word and sharing with them the word that God had given to them and what he told them and they were explaining that to the congregation and maybe God gave a fresh word to somebody then he had priority something to help to enlighten and to add to what he'd already said. And so whoever was speaking, if God began to deal with somebody's heart, those that he gifted in that capacity, then they would, they would get the floor. The other fellow would sit down because whatever this person, this fresh word from God, it took priority over what the other one was saying. It simply added to it. And he said, let the other first hold his peace. Look in verse 31. For ye may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. There's a reason why he gave these regulations. He said, now if there's going to be tongues, he said, let it be about two at the very most by three. Let it be one after the other. And each time someone speaks in tongues, it's got to be interpreted. If there's no interpreter there, then there'll be no tongues in that service. And the prophets, which are the proclaimers of the word of God, two, three in there. And he said, let the other, the one that is not speaking, the ones that are not speaking, let them measure that, judge that. They've not only been given the gift to give God's word, but to discern whether it is the word of God. And he, said, and he said, the reason we lay down these regulations is, he said in verse 31, that if all may prophesy one by one, that is one after the other, all may learn and all may be comforted. Now you take the kind of services that was going on in those days where everybody, everybody's doing their things, the whole service is in chaos. I mean, nobody would learn anything from that. And nobody's going to get the help they need from that. And Paul said, this is the way we do it. This is the regulation. This is the order that I demand for the church. And the reason is, if it's done one after the other and done decently and in order, you're going to be able to hear what is said. You're going to be able to learn from what is being said. And you're going to be helped, comforted, encouraged by what is being said. He said in verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets there in other words you know what was going on in the corinthian church it was nothing more than emotions running out of control and paul says to them they're the spirit of the prophets they're subject to the prophets and that is he was saying these he said when it comes to those who are speaking for god they have control of their spirits They are in control of what they are doing. They're in control of what they're saying. They're not lost, knocked out in some ecstatic, some kind of experience, and then when they wake up, they've said all of this, and they don't even know what happened or what they said. No, Paul said they're even in control of their emotions. They know what is going on. They know what is being said, and they know what they're doing. Why is that? Verse thirty three: For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Can I just t- plainly interpret that? He said, "God's not behind what you're doing." He didn't what what was going on in the Corinthian church. Paul said it didn't originate with God. God's not the author of what's going on here. This is confusion. God is a God of peace and order. There's an order about way God does things so Paul says to them first of all keep silent there is a silence that related to gifts are you still with me now say amen Amen. hang on to the next there is a silence not only that related to gifts but there is also a silence that related to gender notice what he said in verse 34 let your women keep silence in the churches for it is not permitted unto them to speak but they're commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law he not only tells us how to speak in tongues but he also tells us who can speak in tongues he says in verse 34 that the women are to be silent what is he talking about what is he talking about you remember the standing rule of interpreting the scripture is to study a statement in light of what is being discussed. Now, what is Paul talking about in chapter 14? Tongues. Prophesying. He's not flowing through here for 33 verses, talking about tongues, and then he says, oh, by the way, let me just say this, and throws this in, and then back in verse 36, he jumps back in it again. No, he's not going along all of a sudden divorces his mind from that subject and goes to another subject. No, he's talking about women. He's talking about tongues. He's talking about prophecy. And so when he talks about the women being silent, he's not only telling us how to speak in tongues, but who can do it. And he says to us in verse 34 that when it comes to the matter of tongues, that's not a woman's gift. And when it comes to the matter of tongues or prophecy, that's not a woman's gift. Why is that? For he talks about it, says, it's not permitted unto them to speak. They are commanded to be under obedience. That's the same way as saying to be under submission. It goes back to a God-given role. Now listen to me carefully tonight. The man is not superior to the woman and the woman is not inferior to the man. They are equal. In fact, I know some women got a whole lot more sense than some men I know. Amen? And when it comes to teaching, there's a lot of women do a lot better job than some of the men. When it comes to leadership, there's some women that can do a great job, and, and it has nothing to do with whether a woman teaches or whatever, and having leadership in the church and whatever. There's a lot of areas there that a woman is that women are more capable and do a better job in the church than even men can do. But he's not talking about the ability of woman. He's talking about a role that's been assigned to women. And there's no use arguing with me about the role because I did not make the decision. I didn't come alone and say this is the way it is. I'm just the messenger boy telling you how it is. And God in the very beginning, he talks about his also saith the law. He's going all the way back in the Old Testament where in the very beginning God said, this is the way that it will be. This is my role. Man has a certain function in my plans. Women have a certain function in my plan. It is not a matter of rights. It is a matter of roles not a matter of being a man being better than a woman it's just simply that God has given women certain roles he's given men certain roles and it just so happens to be that the roles of women find themselves in submission under man and man has authority in spiritual matters that's just the way God set it up and when it comes to the matter of these gifts like prophesying women teaching the men in a service now like this Standing up there, taking a teaching, taking a doctrine, Paul said, no, wait a minute, that's, that's not a gift for a woman. Because he said, he said, according to the law, he said, he said in the latter part, of verse 35, he said, that's a shame for a woman to speak in church or to exercise authority over a man in spiritual matters. He said, it's a very disgraceful thing. Say, said when it comes to the matter of tongues, prophecy would be one of those gifts of teaching, a gift of authority. Even the speaking in tongues which is a communication of God's truth. Even that would be a gift of authority. And Paul says no, that a woman does not have those gifts because it would violate her God-given role that was assigned in the very beginning by God. In Genesis, and when God and the fall of man there, he said in verse 35, are you still with me? You see, it's not only how can you speak in tongues, but who can speak in tongues. In fact, verse 35, he said, If they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. I guess you could say if they will learn anything, but that, a wonder, there's different ways of looking at it. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. It would appear that not only were there some women abusing the gift of tongues in the church, I would say that the majority of those speaking in tongues in the Corinthian church were women. And probably the majority of those that were prophesying were women. And they were even those not only abusing that gift, but there were some that were also very blatant, it would appear, in their questioning of those who prophesied and what they were teaching. There were some there. It's not a matter of a woman saying, Honey, what did he mean? Or whatever like that. That's not what he's talking about. It doesn't say that you can't open your mouth. A woman can't open her mouth in the church. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the authority, roles of authority that have been assigned by God, that a woman is not to take that role of authority. And when it comes to this matter, some of them blatantly questioned those who prophesied and what they were saying. They were just out in the middle of the service. It'd be like some woman jumping up and said, I don't agree with you, and this is the reason you're wrong, and began to give her word. Paul said, no, 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 no. No, that's a disgrace to a woman. It's a disgrace to her husband. Ahead of her family, it's a disgrace to the church. He said, "No, those are things to be dealt with at home." So what he's saying is that first of all, that a woman, in the very beginning, wants them to understand God didn't give you women the gift of tongues to start with, speaking in tongues. There's some got the gift of tongues, but not speaking in tongues. (laughs) Say, man, let me let me let me clarify that. There, he said, I didn't give a woman. The gift of speaking in tongues or the gift of prophesying or being a prophet. Now you listen to be careful. Listen to be careful. Of everything we've looked at in the chapter 14, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, listen. If all I had was these ten verses, verse 26 through 35, and I took those ten verses, that's all I had, that's all I had to understand and to evaluate the charismatic movement of today. Just if, I, if those ten verses are all I have, then I would have to look up on the modern-day charismatic movement with great skepticism. Because what goes on today is totally contrary to everything that's said there. Totally contrary to how many people can speak in tongues and the order in which it is done, totally contrary to who speaks in tongues. In fact, if you were to follow the regulation about who or about how to speak in tongues, then you'd shut down most of these charismatic groups. You'd shut them down overnight. And if you took the women out of it, you'd just about bankrupt. Are you listening to me? If all I had, everything else is just affirm everything and whatever like that, but if that's all I had, it would force me to look upon the modern-day charismatic movement with great skepticism. He talks about the order in the church. This is how it is to be done. The Corinthians were big in these gifts, and Paul said, All right, if, this is, if you want gifts and you're going to do this, then this is how you do it. And he gives them regulations. Look at the last thing, and I'm about through. He not only talks about the order in the church, the order in the church Paul demanded, but the orders for the church Paul declares. So he finally comes to an end of his discussion of spiritual gifts and in the closing he gives them some very, very firm instructions. What does he tell them to do? First of all, obey God's Word. Look at verse 36. What? Can you get the astonishment in what he's saying? What? Came the Word of God out from you or came it unto you only? It's almost like Paul, look at verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandment of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. And Like he said in verse 36, it's almost like Paul recognizes and realizes that somebody's not going to like what he's just said. It's like everything he's discussed in chapter 12, everything he's discussed in chapter 13, everything he's discussed in chapter 4. I mean, listen, you're talking about totally altering how they went to church at Corinth. You're talking about somebody in three chapters that's just totally wiped their services out. I mean, you talking about... Now, we've made a few changes through the years here, but you talking about turning everything around uh, 90 degrees overnight. He's just done that. First of all, he set all the crowd down. And at the very most, three people, and he really got him mad and said, and oh, by the way, none of those three can be women. Boy, he's really got things stirred up. And so it's almost like Paul recognizes that, that somebody's going to have a problem with what he says. And, and this is what he says to, what? Can I paraphrase this? Did the Word of God come from you or did it come to you. In other words, you got a problem with this. Let me ask you something: Are you God? Did the Word of God come from you? Did God's commandments originate with you, or did God's commandments come to you? And the answer to that's very obvious: The Word of God didn't come from them; it came to them. And it's like Paul said, "All right." if it didn't come from you then you obey it because the bottom line is if you are not the writer of it and it came from God and is God's Word that came to you then the issue's settled that when it comes to the Word of God you don't debate whether you'll obey the Word of God you don't discuss you don't vote whether or not you're gonna do what God said that's a settled issue it's like you said you have problems with this all right if you didn't give the Word of God, God gave the Word of God and gave it to you, then obey it. Do what he said to do. Don't argue with me. You argue with God. Obey the Word of God. Verse 37. He said, if anyway, if any of you think himself to be a prophet or you think you're really spiritual, filled with the Spirit, then let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you, they're more than my opinions about matter. This is not just my ideal of how y'all to do it. Paul's not saying, I'm not going to write a manual on how to go to church. He said, I want you to understand something. This is the commandment of the Lord. He said, I want you folks in the church that have some spiritual discernment and you folks in the church there that have spiritual understanding, realize this is not my, this is more than my opinions. This is the command of God. And it came from God. Therefore, it is an issue to be obeyed. He said, the first thing you do in the order that he gives to him is to obey God's word. He said in verse 33, I think this is interesting. If any man be ignorant, well, let him be ignorant. In other words, if somebody will refuse in light of the fact that they know that it's God's word, it's God's orders, it is God's order and regulation of how to do things and who can do it, who cannot do it. He said, if somebody wants to rebel against that, somebody don't understand that, somebody won't accept that, then just let him be ignorant. And the implication is that the church is not to recognize that individual for any more than what he is. He's ignorant. Are you listening to me? Somebody that has any problem believing the Word of God, if God says this is the way that it's ought to be done, then that's the way it's got to be done. It's not a matter it it should be done, it has to be done. That's what God said. If God plainly says this is how to do it, then that's how we do it. Issue settled, am I not right? And anybody has any problem with what they know to be the mind of God and be the will of God, they're showing their ignorance. And Paul said, let them be ignorant. Don't recognize them as some kind of saint. Don't recognize them as some kind of spiritual giant. Don't make them a leader in the church. They're ignorant. He said, let them be ignorant. That's the best way I know how to explain that, amen? He said, obey God's word. Second of all, not only obey God's word, but observe God's ways. Look at verse 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Too long ago, in one of our faith visits, we visited a very dear family, and they come from a different background. And they were here at the very beginning when I began this section. And she said to me that night, she said, But the Bible says, Forbid not to speak in tongues. You'll notice that the word tongues is plural, which means the real thing. It's like Paul said, I want you to understand something. He's been talking about the false. He's He's brought the false, he said, look, we're going to stop this We're going to cut this stuff out in the church, whatever We're going to do it the way God says to do it It's his commands, therefore is to be obeyed But he said, I want you to understand something I'm not against the real thing He said, I have come down hard on you About how you're doing your services And how you believe and what you think I know that, but he said, I want you to understand something It's like he said in verse 39 I want you to understand something I'm not against the real thing when it comes to the real things i want you to covet to prophesy I have a hunger for the proclaiming the word of god and he said when it comes to the real gift of tongues I, don't stop anybody with the real gift when it comes to the real matter then let that gift if it be of god and that's god's will for that service, then let that gift be exercised in the congregation He said no i don't want to stop the real thing but when it comes to the false thing he said that is a different story. In other words, what he's telling us is, is, as a church, that we should never tolerate anything that is not right or not according to God's way. In other words, he said, observe God's way. Do it God's way and do it God's way only. He said, there is a real gift. Forbid not that that gift be exercised in the church. Don't try to stop the real thing. Forbid not to speak with tongues the real gift. But when it comes to the false, let there be silence. Bring it all to a close. Best way I know how to say it is if you're going to do it, then this is how you do it. Let's all stand to our feet.